This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Good morning and happy Turkey Preparation Day. It's Glenn in for John today. Thanks for joining us. Big hour lined up for you as we help you get out the door to grandmother's house or whatever you have to do today and getting ready. We want to get you ready for your day and get you ready for the weekend. As a matter of fact, this Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. Later this hour, we'll talk with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, taking a look at the gospel reading for the first Sunday in Advent. We'll get an update from Rome with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, one of my favorite Story Corners of all time, my favorite Thanksgiving Story Corner, coming up before this hour is through. But we start the hour with an update on some pro-life news and lots going on right now. My goodness. And uh, we've got Brian Gibson, a great voice, to tell us about that. Brian works out of the uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis area. He is in charge of Pro-Life Action Ministries. That's PLAM.org on the net. They do sidewalk counseling and train others to do the same, and he's very much in touch with what's going on in the pro-life world. Happy almost Thanksgiving, Brian. Great to have you along this morning. Thank you, Glenn. Good to be with you. Hey, before we dive into the serious business here, what's going to be on the uh, Thanksgiving table for you this year? Well, it, w- turkey and uh, rice pilaf and uh, you know pumpkin pie, all the good stuff that everybody loves to have uh, for, for their Thanksgiving dinner. So, hey, Glenn, you know, I, I just realized that this is the 400th anniversary of the original Thanksgiving weekend that took place in 1600s after after that terrible winter. Wow, there's probably still a few uh, pilgrims asleep in the back room there after that big dinner <laughs> huh, of uh, of not turkey but deer and fish and all kinds of things like that. But uh, yeah. that is something pretty cool to think about, as a matter of fact, and made official back in the 1860s with President Abraham Lincoln. But uh, we ought to give thanks. Lots to give thanks for in the world of uh, life this year with uh, a lot of positive things going on, and including uh, right in the middle of them at the Supreme Court. Yes, uh, on December 1st, uh, next Wednesday, uh, will be the oral arguments before the United States Supreme Court on uh, what's what's commonly uh, been called the Dobbs case. This is the Mississippi uh, Gestational Act that was enacted a couple of years ago. Uh, This particular law, which has never taken effect, it was upheld, it was held up by the federal courts immediately, so it's never taken effect. But this law would actually ban abortions after uh, 15 weeks gestation, 15 weeks, and uh, basically stating that after the first trimester, no abortion can take place in the state of Mississippi should it be upheld at the the U.S. Supreme Court. So the day of oral arguments are on December 1st, and there's going to be a lot of activity around that. Well, and this is kind of the case that people have been looking at. And uh, explain to us just a little bit how this one really has the potential to put away Roe v. Wade. Well, there, you know, first of all, Roe v. Wade is going to be on the table with this case. They they have to look at Roe v. Wade in order to decide what they do with the with this uh, gestational act out of Mississippi. And um, and and what I mean by that is that. Even if they decide to turn down this case and say, well, they didn't turn out, they're, accepted, they're hearing the arguments, but if they uphold 
the lower courts and say that it is unconstitutional and say this law cannot be in place, they have to look at Roe to do that. That's that's a scenario that almost everybody agrees will not happen. They wouldn't have taken the case if they were just going to uphold what the lower courts had already done. So from there it becomes, are they going to uh, uphold the law as it is and say it's okay to start banning abortions? States can now start banning abortions as early as 15 weeks. And that's a complete restructure of Roe, no matter what you do. So they have to look at Roe. They would have to rewrite basically uh, how Roe works uh, in order to be able to allow that to happen, because under Roe v. Wade, this cannot take place. And then, of course, the third scenario, which is one that we all are praying and hoping for, is, is that they outright abandon Roe v. Wade uh, and and uh, leave it on the on the heap of history, and uh, we have the opportunity to start stopping abortions all across the country. Is it the case, Brian, that many states on either side of the issue are ready to go with laws that will pretty much automatically kick in, guaranteeing abortion to be legal in some states and very quickly outlawing it in others? Yes, we have uh, we have several states now that have actually passed legislation uh, making abortion uh, state law. And, and, and in almost every single case, those states is New York, California, uh, and, and several others, they, they have passed legislation that, into law that makes abortion legal through all times of pregnancy, does not allow for any uh, uh, exceptions for the unborn child whatsoever. It's all about being allowed to have abortions. So those states have done that. Conversely, though, we have many states uh, that have also put into what are often called trigger laws. Uh, uh, South Dakota, I believe, has one uh, near us and uh, many other states around and in this case, those uh, should Roe v. Wade be overturned, abortion is automatically made illegal again, as it was in the state prior to the Roe v. Quaid case in 1973. So you've got those, those going on. Then you've got new laws that are being enacted uh, similar to what has happened down in Texas. And, and so we've got states all across the country that are now starting to look at passing legislation to try and outlaw abortion in, in, by new means. So there's a whole lot happening in in how the states are looking at this right now. And uh, depending upon where you live, either abortion is going to be made illegal, uh, will be made or continue to be legal, or it will become uh, a lot of legislative work that's going to take place. Also, to set folks up, too, to, to know if Roe v. Wade is struck down, that does not mean that abortion is non-existent around the country. After that, it'll leave it up to the states. And as we've been talking, many states ready to outlaw abortion, many ready to sadly, proudly uphold uh, that activity as well. We know that anything that hinders the, the process of uh, someone getting to the abortion clinic saves lives. So that in itself is very good, yet people will start doing a little more traveling and it uh, almost, you know, it's a weird phrase, but uh, we're looking at abortion tourism in certain states, aren't we? Yeah. Or destinations as, as has been also been used as the term uh, abortion destinations. And, you know, states like New York, uh, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, uh, California, Colorado, uh, Oregon and Washington, uh, those states all have uh, either, already made abortion legal by state law it, in, in the anticipation of the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned or on the verge of doing so. Or, maybe, you know, in some other cases, 
the state just may not have the the legislative willpower to uh, regulate or limit abortion anymore or even outlaw it. So those states uh, will be where women will go to for abortions, uh, traveling as far as away as they need to. Uh, and we've already seen this start to happen with some other legislation that's out there. So um, this th- that is expected to take place. Talking to Brian Gibson from Pro-Life Action Ministries, joining us for Morning Air here on Relevant Radio, taking a look at the Supreme Court's work coming up here in the next week. They'll get a look at the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, and uh, that'll basically put Roe v. Wade on trial in front of the court as well. We live in a time, Brian, when uh, protest season is on year-around pretty much. Uh, what do we anticipate as far as a blowback from those who would be very unhappy if their industry's income is affected by a ruling against abortion? Well, I'm, I'm sure that there will be some sort of uh, uh, effort to have a nationwide protest. The, the most recent, they had what they called a women's march, but it wasn't. It was it was an abortion march that took place uh, a couple months ago, and uh, so we we certainly can anticipate that something like that will happen again. What what we do know is that when the pro-abortion people decide that they're going to rally around something like this, it it may have some bluster to begin with, but it seems to be a bit short-lived. And so we don't see uh, the uh, the ongoing efforts, like you see that the pro-life movement has sustained for uh, more than 45 years. And uh, and, and so, um, you know, again, the, the, the cause is a little thin when what you're demanding is that we be able to kill innocent human beings. Uh, but uh, again, that is something to be aware of, right, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, people getting wound up. Uh, but in terms of what we're doing to, to rally on the positive side for that, you've got some things uh, in your home base of the Twin Cities lined up for uh, for praying for life next week, too. Yes, well, all across the United States, there's been a national call. Uh, there, there's a group, a coalition of pro-life organizations that have come together nationally, and they have called upon uh, cities across the United States, pro-lifers, to uh, go to federal courthouses or federal buildings in their city and rally in favor of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, to go out there to pray. Uh, and that is the primary purpose of being there, is to pray, to be there, uh, and, but also to show publicly that there is good support, strong support within the community uh, for for the overturning of Roe versus Wade, uh, a signal also intended for the U.S. Supreme Court. But then also at the U.S. Supreme Court steps, there will be, starting on November 30th, maybe even a little sooner, th- th- it will be just a mob of different uh, organizations showing up uh, on the pro-life side with prayer vigils and uh, and candlelight vigils and prayer rallies and so forth, at the U.S. Supreme Court steps, uh, but from the pro-abortion side, all sorts of uh, uh, rallies and, and protests as well. So uh, this this will be quite the scene when it comes on full display on December 1st. Well, it, it certainly will be, and uh, we want to encourage those on the, the side of life to be part of that, that scene as well. 
at the very least, this is going to bring up that conversation. And so often bringing up the conversation for something as important as life, bringing up the conversation that sometimes is, you know, people feel more comfortable not talking about, even on either side of the issue. But talk about the good that can come from this bringing up the conversation. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and, and this is where it's good for all of us to uh, take some time and to reflect upon uh you know, the very basic understanding of when human life begins of as followers of Jesus Christ, what our understanding is morally and ethically when it comes to protecting uh, the unborn, the, the, uh, the most defenseless among us. Um, it, it's good to reflect upon how we would care for the women who normally, you know, should they no longer be uh, legally able to get abortions, how will we care for them? How will we reach out to them? How will we do the work we need to do uh, as individuals, as parishes, as dioceses, as states, for that matter? How are we going to reach out to the women and, and care for them so that um, these these children that were not expected to be conceived, which is why they seek out abortion in the first place, uh, will now be cared for as well as their moms, their dads, their families? So. Um, this is a good time to be thinking about this and praying about that and understanding because we will need to respond to questions. The questions will be, you know, will you take care of those babies? That's, that's an often one thrown in our direction already. Uh, you know, will you adopt these kids? Another one that is thrown in our direction. Um, and, and then, of course, you it's good to look at the uh, the most difficult cases that brought abortion about in the first place. What about fetal deformity, the, the child that has Down syndrome or other uh, fetal maladies that, uh, that will be a part of their life uh, as long as they live once they're born? Uh, we also have, uh, you know, what about the, the sexual assault cases where there's rape or incest involved? How do we respond to those when we say, that should not be, or and it cannot be allowed either. Um, so, so there's some some big things we need to think about and talk about and pray about, um, so that we can learn to respond with the love of God to those who question these situations. In terms of to uh, you know responding with the love of God uh, to have that go in all directions, even if uh, we're on a sidewalk and happen to. Not literally, maybe literally, but uh, usually not literally, but uh, run into someone who works inside, right? And uh, Abby Johnson, the great pro-life worker and the former abortion worker, has a great ministry leading people out of that life. And she was led out of that type of work herself and has become a great force for life. And so having just you know, enough grace to be loving to those that are doing the horrible work in hopes of saving them, saving babies, saving their souls. Yeah, you know, that really comes down to the bottom line of everything that, that being in the pro-life movement is about, doing pro-life work is about, what being pro-life means all by itself. And that simply is is that uh, we, we are trying to live out the gospel as Jesus has taught us, as the church has, has, has commended us to do since the very inception of the church. And that is, we're about saving souls and about loving people. Um, and whether they disagree with us, whether it's mildly or vehemently, we still need to love them with the love of Christ and offer them that love as well. So we find this often. Uh, many abortion workers have quit all across the United States over the years. 
Uh, many have quit where I go out uh, at the Planned Parenthood in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, you know, so this has been going on for a very long time. And, and most often it's the interaction with the people that they claim they hate the most or are, are the most angry at us on the sidewalks. But it also happens because of that personal interaction that happens in their day-to-day lives outside of their involvement with the abortion industry. And so the more we simply reflect and offer and live out the love of God, the more we see changes taking place within the hearts and minds of those who are for abortion with the desire that we have and the long goal that they convert and come to Christ. Boy, and to get that uh, that thought across to those who think we just want to fight and take away their right to to fun without consequence, uh, but to talk about that uh, you know eternal truth and that eternal love for them and their soul forever. Brian Gibson with us this morning on Morning Air does great work on the sidewalks and training others to do the same. Uh, Pro Life Action Ministries. Brian, it's not just the Dobbs case coming up next week, but some thought the Supreme Court uh, would have made a ruling already. Looks like they won't in the very near future, but that is. Good news as far as the Texas heartbeat law still gets to live on. Yeah, the Heartbeat Act out of Texas uh, is is still in full force. Uh, th- this this law, for the listeners who may not know, this is the one where the uh, there there is no criminal penalty uh, for for doing an abortion after the fetal uh, uh, heartbeat can be clearly detected. But uh, uh, it, it, it allows for private actions and up to a $10,000 uh, payment for anybody that, that were to sue someone who is involved in abortion, except for the woman herself. She's not allowed to be sued. And so this was thought it would be a slam dunk that this law would be uh, enjoined and, and stopped by the federal courts. It did not happen. Uh, then it was brought before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, I think it's already been brought to the Supreme Court two times now. Uh, it was on the second time that it came up. This is the, this is based on a, a move by the Biden administration and the, and the Justice Department in suing to stop the state of Texas from having this law. And uh, the U.S. Supreme Court is considering it still, but and, and they listened to arguments on the case already. Uh, the case they just have not made a public decision on what they're doing with this other than saying the law can remain in effect until they make their ruling or unless they make a difference with their ruling. So that surprised a whole lot of people. The assumption was automatically that this that this law would have been at least enjoined and that it would be suspended from taking effect until a ruling took place, which has been the case with almost every single abortion-related case that's ever gone to the U.S. Supreme Court since 1973. And um, and part of this, I, I really believe this has got to do with the the technicalities of how this law is written and uh, and where it's going. So that's uh, that, this is a very interesting case. Do we expect then maybe not rulings on either of these matters till the court wraps up in June? Well, I think the first one, the Dobbs case, where you know everybody is assuming, and this is assuming that the court does not have to wait until the end of its session to put out rulings. But that's been the traditional way in which they have handled abortion-related cases since about 1975. So you know we're accustomed to that being the case. So we all assume that the Dobbs case, we will not hear uh, 
the the results of that until until the uh, end of the session. But this Texas one kind of throws a, a, a cork in the works. Um, we, you know, as as has already been anticipated, the, there was the belief that a decision would have been made on the technical ruling that it is already, and it hasn't happened. And so this may, they, the court may be, and I'm just, you know, this is conjecture purely, but the court may be holding its ruling on the Texas thing until after the Dobbs case has been heard, and it may accelerate them deciding when to push the Dobbs case decision out to the public. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of things going on in the works here. So we, we just don't know how this is all going to happen until we see it happen. Oh, good uh, good time to keep in prayer the, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, and all those contemplating life, especially if it uh, wasn't uh, their plan and now they need to know what to do about it. Uh, choose life, right? Uh, Brian, thanks so much for your good work on the sidewalks, training others to do the same and keeping us informed on a regular basis on the radio as well. Brian Gibson with Pro-Life Action Ministries. Hey, enjoy that turkey as well, Brian. Uh, thanks, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you. Morning Air continues. Coming up around the corner, we're going to go to Rome and talk with Ashley Narona, Relevant Radio's Rome correspondent, and hear the latest over there. We'll take a look at Sunday's Gospel reading already, the first Sunday in Advent with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. And pretty good, if I do say so myself, Thanksgiving-related story corner. All coming up. Stick around. Don't miss a minute as you get that stuff ready for the long holiday weekend. We're with you here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio on Thanksgiving Eve. Thank you for joining us. Glenn Leverins and for John Morales. Still to come, we'll take a look at Sunday's Gospel reading. That's the first Sunday in Advent already. We're joined by Bishop Daniel Muggenberg before the end of the hour. Story Corner coming up as well, looking at Thanksgiving. Getting your day underway now with a quick visit to Rome, Italy. Our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, joins us. Ashley, happy Thanksgiving Eve to you, and uh, welcome to the program this morning. Well, good morning, Glenn, and, I, and buon giorno di ringraziamento, as we say here. Of course, we don't officially celebrate Thanksgiving in Italy, but indeed they have a special name for it for, for we Americans who do. So, happy Giorno di ringraziamento, Glenn. Oh, thank you very much. And though I think I'll still say Happy <laughs> Thanksgiving because it's easier for me to say, but I know we'll we'll talk about that and a few other things in a little bit. But uh, first off, we want to let you get to what the Holy Father talked about today at his weekly general audience. Yes. So sure enough, the weekly general audience today was actually held in St. Peter's Basilica. And that's because Pope Francis was welcoming some members of the Vincentian community today. And they are actually on pilgrimage in Rome, commemorating the Feast of Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal. And there were also some pilgrims from the John Paul II Association there. So this morning, Pope Francis spent some time praying in front of a statue of Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal that was placed there in St. Peter's Basilica for this special occasion. And then for his general audience today, he continued on the new series of talks that he started last week, which reflect on St. Joseph, but specifically on St. Joseph's role in the history of salvation. And so Pope Francis looked at how St. Joseph is present in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, and it, it, that through St. Joseph, Jesus 
fulfills the history of the covenant and the salvation between God and man. The Pope pointed out that in the book of Matthew, the history begins with Abraham. But in Luke, it begins at the very origin of humanity with Adam and then culminates in Joseph and Jesus. And he said that in both of those Gospels, that Joseph is not presented as the biological father of Jesus, of course, but still as fully the father of Jesus. And that through Joseph, Jesus fulfills the history of the covenant of salvation between God and man. And then the Pope looked to the book of Matthew to show how Joseph is key in God's plan of salvation, even if he's not heard from much in Scripture. The Pope said that Joseph still does his part without ever seeking to take over the scene. And although Joseph often goes unnoticed, the Pope said, everyone can still find an intercessor and a guide in St. Joseph in difficult moments. And so he went on to say today, Glenn, that the Pope, or excuse me, that St. Joseph is a reminder for, for all those who feel hidden in the world or feel as what he said in the second row of life, but still to remember that they have an unparalleled agency in the history of salvation, that the world needs all of us. And then the Pope turned to the Gospel of Luke, where Joseph is portrayed as the guardian of Jesus and Mary and the guardian of the church. And the Pope said, Joseph is God's answer to Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper? Because Joseph, in his life, seems to say that the faithful are called to be the guardians of whomever the Lord entrusts to them through the circumstances of life. And he went on to especially share thoughts uh, in closeness to those who are struggling to find meaningful relationships in their own lives and saying that this situation can leave many people feeling alone, uh, lacking the strength to strive ahead. And so today he concluded his catechesis by offering a prayer to help everyone who struggles with loneliness and adding that it's through St. Joseph that all can find an ally, a friend, and a support. And so, Glenn, if I could, I'd love to invite you and our audience to pray that prayer that we heard today at the public audience right now. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear St. Joseph, you who guarded the bond with Mary and Joseph, Help us to care for the relationships in our lives. May no one experience the sense of abandonment that comes from loneliness. Let each of us be reconciled with our own history and those who have gone before us. And recognize even in the mistakes made a way through which providence has made its way. And evil did not have the last word. Show yourself to be a friend to those who struggle the most as you supported Mary and Jesus in difficult times. Support us, too, on our journey. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's Ashley Nerona joining us this morning from Rome, giving us the latest on the Holy Father's weekly general audience as well. Speaking of prayers, the Holy Father had prayers. Uh, The folks in Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, not far from his heart, as the sad news this morning comes out that yet another life has been lost. A young boy who was eight Mm. years old and in the hospital brings the death toll now to six and some over 60 injured uh, in that incident. The Holy Father keeping them in prayer as well. Oh, yes. So awful, Glenn. Uh, Indeed, Pope Francis sent a message to Archbishop Jerome Lasecki of Milwaukee 
saying that uh, he has asked the Lord to bestow upon everyone involved that spiritual strength, what he called a spiritual strength which triumphs over violence and overcomes evil with good. And the Holy Father also asked Archbishop Lasecki to convey the assurance of, of the Pope's spiritual closeness to all those who've been affected by the, this tragic incident. And uh, he also commends the souls of those who died to Almighty God's loving mercy. And he implored the gift of divine healing and consolation upon the injured and also the bereaved. He's especially praying, he said, for all uh, for the six people who've died and also for the, the 60 who've been injured, of course, including a Catholic priest, multiple parishioners, and Catholic school children. And so, of course, uh, I, I certainly am joining in those prayers and uh, invite all of our relevant radio family to do the same with the Holy Father. Glenn. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. And, uh, and once again, which we were able to... Uh, Announced yesterday, uh, the sad news, Dave Durand, who for many years, longtime guest of Morning Air on Relevant Radio Talking Success and Leadership, lost his wife, Tamara, in that parade as well. And so we keep all those folks in prayer, as well as uh, those still suffering in the hospital and the families uh, affected, especially during this holiday time. It was a Christmas parade. It wasn't able to happen last year due to COVID. They brought that back. But uh, speaking of Christmas, it's starting to look a bit like Christmas in Rome as well, Ashley. Yes. So, Glenn, I was very happy to be in St. Peter's Square yesterday morning to witness the raising of the Christmas tree. So, annually, the Vatican brings in a Christmas tree from a different part of of Italy, usually. And uh, this tree certainly does not disappoint. Uh, Yesterday morning, got to witness this huge crane lifting an eight-ton tree. That, and on, there were all kinds of workers with chainsaws who were cutting this part of the trunk and that part of the trunk, trying to make a perfect fit so that it would stand up nice and straight there in the middle of St. Peter's Square, right next to the obelisk. So uh, the tree is actually coming from a sustainable forestry management project in Andalo, which is in the Trentino area in northeast Italy. It's actually such a beautiful part of the country, really my favorite part of Italy. And the village of Andalo itself is very small. It has only about a 1,000 inhabitants, but it is a big tourist spot because it's a place where people often go for skiing in the winter, for hiking in the summer. And it's also famous for having a disappearing lake, believe it or not. So what this means is that the Lake Andalo actually appears and disappears depending on the amount of rainfall. So visitors never quite know what they will see. They may have the chance to have a nice hike around the lake, or they may have the chance to have a a cross-country ski run right through the lake bed. So this Christmas tree that is now in the middle of St. Peter's Square will soon be decorated. There will be 600 wooden decorations that have been handcrafted by artisans from Andalo, from Andalo, Italy. And the Vatican, of course, will illuminate that tree on the 10th of December at 5 p.m. with a tree lighting ceremony. Uh, They have also made mention that they're using energy consumption, uh, low energy consumption lighting. And on the 10th as well, the Christmas nativity, the crib in St. Peter's Square, will also be inaugurated. Now, Glenn, the tree is standing high, but the crib right now is actually covered 
by all kinds of, uh, there's like walls, temporary walls that have been erected around it. So the workers are working inside. And so we haven't gotten a sneak preview of that yet. But certainly look forward to, to that coming soon. And uh, looking forward to seeing 30 life-size figurines in that nativity scene. They're all going to be in uh, costumes of, that are typical to, of the Andes Mountains because this is the Vatican's first nativity scene going to come from the Americas. So very much looking forward to that. And I will let you know when that is unveiled as well, Glenn. Oh, that'll be great. Look forward to your description of that as well. And I just can't help thinking but uh, how a crane might be handy in uh, putting the uh, the tree together. But when I think of all the work that goes into the ah. Vatican tree, I should uh, rest uh, a little more easy when I'm just wrestling with the artificial one that I'll have this year and, uh, <laughs> and know that others are uh, having That's to right. struggle even more mightily to do all that good work. Hey, just a quick minute left, but uh, before we're, we're done, uh, Ashley, we know that Thanksgiving, right, is an American tradition, but with lots of Americans in Rome. Talk about how Thanksgiving is celebrated where you're at. Oh, well, we are so looking forward to it, Glenn. We are going to be celebrating a lunch Thanksgiving, then we'll go to a late-night Thanksgiving. But in the meantime, we're going to go to the Pontifical North American College here in Rome, which is, of course, where the American men who are studying for the priesthood live. What a celebration it's going to be. Imagine a beautiful Mass followed by pumpkin pasta. Where else in the world are you going to get pumpkin-flavored pasta? (laughs) I've always heard that it's a bit of a challenge for the Italian cooks, but they are good sports about it. And uh, the fifth-year priest traditionally bake pumpkin pies. We will even finish with pumpkin pies, wonderful entertainment from the men who will sing a few songs for us, including a parody about pumpkin pies. So very much looking forward to celebrating. And by the way, that is officially American soil. So my husband, John, and I will be having an American Thanksgiving blend. Excellent, excellent. Always good to hear. We appreciate your comprehensive and joyful reports from Roma. There goes our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona. Happy Thanksgiving to you and John and everyone over there. Thank you so much. We'll uh, touch base again, Lord willing, next week too. Ashley, we continue with Morning Air. Look at Sunday's Gospel getting Advent underway already. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg joins us next here on Morning Air as Relevant Radio rolls on on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Good morning. It's Glenn in for John today, and we always bring you a look at Sunday's Gospel Reading with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. This weekend, it's the first Sunday in Advent, and we start with a look at Sunday's Gospel. Our Gospel reading for this Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent, comes from Luke chapter 21. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life, and that day catch you by surprise like a trap. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. 
Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. And that's the gospel for the first Sunday in Advent from Luke chapter 21. We dive in for a closer look now with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno. Bishop Muggenberg, great to have you along. Great to be here, Glenn. Well, as uh, humans, we love a new start, don't we? That we get at the first of the year, maybe the start of a new school year. We're starting a new church year, the new church calendar, Advent, that first season. And it's not just a Christmas shopping season, but uh, meant to be a bit of a mini Lent as well. Well, um, you are right. This Sunday, we do start a new year, and that's a great time for all of us to make a New Year's resolution, a spiritual resolution of how we want our lives to be different. Um, What's the growth that we want to take place in our relationship with God over the course of these next 12 months? And if we can make that resolution and we can identify that growth, then we can more easily lay out the steps that we can take in order to realize that growth. So that that's one of the great things that everyone can do is make a um, spiritual revol- uh, resolution on this first Sunday of Advent. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, um, there are a lot of preparations that people will be undertaking, and I'm sure they already are. Christmas trees are probably up, and lights are being hung, and gifts are being purchased, and, and parties are being scheduled. But Advent is a different is is a different kind of preparation. Advent is not so much a preparation for a holiday as it is a preparation for meeting Jesus who will come to each of us um, at the end of time. And so we're looking uh, at that preparation we need to do so we can be spiritually uh, ready to meet the Lord when he comes to us. Well, as you mentioned, Bishop Muckenberg, with the decorations and many radio stations for weeks now have been playing Christmas music and all the, the fun part of getting ready for Christmas. And the gospel talks about getting ready, but not for the, the birth of Christ, but for his return. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of confusing for people that on the first Sunday of Advent, you know, we don't have a reading about the nativity of Jesus, but instead we have this apocalyptic reading about Jesus coming again at the end of time. Now, the reason the church does that is because um, the, the, the church will um, teach us about Jesus's first coming, because Jesus's birth in Bethlehem was the fulfillment of prophecies promises that God made to his people through the prophets. And so we celebrate God's faithfulness in sending us his son in Bethlehem, but we celebrate that faithfulness because it reminds us that God will be faithful to come again at the end of time. And so um, Christmas is really a symbol for the coming of Jesus that we're preparing for that definitive coming of Jesus in our life, um, when Christ will come to each of us as, as our judge and our redeemer. The gospel goes on to talk about not being caught, basically just partying, but to be ready, but to be ready so that we can stand with our heads held high in anticipation of this, that second coming being a very good thing. Yes. So if I were to say to you, Um, In four weeks from now, you will personally meet Jesus, um, and he will come to you as as your judge, your redeemer. How would you spend the next four weeks preparing for that moment? That's what Advent is really about. How would we spend that time preparing for that moment? And there's lots of ways we could prepare. You know, um, uh, some, uh, you know, people may say, well, we would would lock ourselves in, in chapel and do nothing but pray all that time. 
And yet Jesus also wants us to experience a preparation that's manifested in a transformation of life. And so that's why Luke goes out of his way to talk about these practical ways in which we are living life differently because we are aware of our accountability to the Lord and because we want to be prepared to meet the Lord. So he talks about not falling asleep, which is always a, um, an image uh, for spiritual sloth. He also talks about um, not wasting our time in carousing and drunkenness and being caught up in the anxieties of daily life. Those are practical transformations, you know, ways in which we are allowing ourselves to not be distracted by worldly pleasures or by worldly pursuits, but we're staying focused on um, God's call to us and God's desire for our lives in each moment. So Jesus wants us to experience those practical changes of life that are born from a spiritual rootedness, but they don't just remain as spiritual sentiments. Taking a look at the first uh, Sunday in Advent's Gospel reading out of Luke chapter 21 this week with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno talking about being ready, getting ready, not wasting the days. And, and part of that it, you know, can play to our daily life thinking, oh, I can always go to confession later. Uh, and this is a, a big example of not to have that attitude. Yeah, and probably one of the best things that a person can do during the four weeks of Advent is actually to celebrate the Sacrament of Reconciliation, as you just mentioned. And I say that because the Sacrament of Reconciliation is probably where we as disciples experience most concretely the transformation of life that Jesus wants us to experience. When we acknowledge humbly and honestly and, um, you know, sorrowfully uh, the presence of sin and our responsibility for sins that we have committed, and we, and we also pray for the grace to make an amendment and to um, experience a changed life uh, by the power of God's love and God's grace. Um, there can be no other better preparation to, um, to prepare us to meet the Lord than to celebrate um, deeply and profoundly the sacrament of reconciliation. In this passage, it says, because of all the crazy going on in the world, people will die of fright. How can we help others who might not have got to that point of peace uh, during turbulent times, which may or may not be signs of the real end of things? Sure. So in this passage, you know, Jesus is, is really speaking about people who are finding their security and their meaning and their purpose rooted in the things of this life. For them, the coming of the Son of Man is going to be a total disruption. It's going to be a total threat to their reality and to their kingdom. And that's what will cause them to experience that, 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 that terrible fright you know, and that terrible distress at our Lord's coming. But if we as Christians are really living for Jesus, if we are if we are seeking communion with him, if he is the one who is the fulfillment of our lives and our hopes, then his coming is going to be the greatest cause for celebration uh, we will ever experience. Um, and it will be something, it'll be the fulfillment of our hopes rather than a threat to our pursuits. Well, may we all be ready. Appreciate so much. You're a great reflection as always and look forward to more coming up through Advent and the, the coming year as well. Bishop Muggenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up this week with your blessing. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God, who gives us this graced period of four weeks every year, 
to prepare for his coming and to deepen our joy and communion with him. Always grant us the grace of repentance so that we might truly greet the Lord with lives transformed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And uh, there we go with a great reflection once again from Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, getting us ready for the first Sunday in Advent already coming up this Sunday. Getting us ready for Thanksgiving. I must admit, it's my favorite Thanksgiving story corner, and we'll hear it right now as morning air continues. Our story today called The Bag Lady and Thanksgiving Dinner. It's by Ed Price. It was a very cold day, and light snow was falling as young Jimmy Dorch piloted his Ford Escort down the street toward the city park. Snow on Thanksgiving was a rarity in this part of the country, and it caused almost as much excitement as the traditional turkey dinner, the traditional afternoon of football, or the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on TV. But none of these things were on 17-year-old Jimmy's mind at the moment as he carefully maneuvered his car over the blacktop. He had his own tradition to tend to, and what he was looking for he'd probably find in the deserted park. Usually bustling with activity, even on cold days, the park was practically empty now. Everyone was home with friends and family enjoying their Thanksgiving turkey. Jimmy was tempted to have a bit more dinner himself, but his second helping sat on the car seat beside him, along with a big hunk of Mom's homemade pumpkin pie and a thermos of hot coffee. Jimmy wouldn't succumb to temptation and eat more today. For the past two years, Jimmy had established a tradition for himself. Now, he'd never suffered a hungry day in his life, the son of an unwed teenage mother, he was given up for adoption as an infant and taken in by a Christian family. When he was 15, to honor his Lord as well as his parents, he decided to take his second helping of Thanksgiving dinner to the park to share it with a homeless man or woman. The first year he found a man who'd been on his own since he was 13. In the summer he worked odd jobs, but in the winter he lived at the local rescue mission where he earned an occasional dollar by helping to clean up the place. The second year, he shared his Thanksgiving dinner with an elderly man whose wife had died long before and children had moved away to another city. They never contacted their father nor offered to help in any way. I reckon they're ashamed of me, said the roomy old man. Throughout the year, Jimmy often thought about the two men. He'd gone to the mission to try and find them, but they were gone without a trace. Now Jimmy wondered who he'd meet this Thanksgiving. As soon as he arrived at the park, he saw a ragged woman sitting hunched over on the bench of one of the heavy concrete picnic tables provided by the city. She wore an old battered coat and a dark wool cap over her matted graying hair. Close beside her was the tattered bag that carried all her worldly possessions. Jimmy pulled the car into a parking place and he got out and took the covered dishes and the thermos from the front seat and began walking toward the bag lady. When he stood in front of her, she jumped as if suddenly she'd been awakened from dozing. She looked up at Jimmy and suddenly her eyes brightened and she started to speak, but instead she lowered her head and stared at the frozen ground. God bless you, ma'am, said Jimmy, smiling. I brought you some Thanksgiving dinner. Would you do me the honor of sharing it with me? The woman looked at the food. She was hungry. She hadn't eaten since last night's dinner at the mission. She nodded, and Jimmy served her food, uncovered the plates, put a napkin and silverware on the old concrete picnic table, and poured her a steaming cup of coffee. Then he watched her as she ate. Although it was very cold in the park, he felt warm inside. The God of love was clearly at work within him. He loved his tradition, and he intended to continue it and more for the rest of his life. When the woman had finished, he cleared the table and put the dishes into a pile, poured another, another cup of coffee into her styrofoam cup, and closed the top on the thermos. Then he reached into his wallet and pulled out a 20. He thrust the money into her gnarled hand, and he reached over and kissed her lightly on the forehead. 
May God richly bless you, ma'am, he said softly, and thank you for giving me the honor of sharing my Thanksgiving dinner with you. With that, Jimmy picked up his dishes and returned to the car. She had stayed on purposely in the city to see him grow, but remained carefully in the background and out of sight so she wouldn't embarrass him or cause him pain. Her own life was a shambles, time spent in state mental hospitals and at other times living on the streets. But she'd seen him grow into manhood and was very proud of his many accomplishments. Today she had longed to tell him who she was, but could not bring herself to do it. Instead, she thanked God that he had so richly blessed her today in spite of her trials. Tears welled up in her eyes. She had seen her son on Thanksgiving, and he had loved his mother. Matthew 23.11 reminds us, The greatest among you will be your servant. That's our story today. You can experience it again in podcast form from the Relevant Radio app or online at relevantradio.com. Morning Air continues talking joy with Jenny Thing next after the news with Tim here on Relevant Radio.